0: welcome to the get attention vlog and podcast i'm josh pies your host and i want to thank you for giving me your attention for a few minutes today and uh, you know before i jump into things i often forget to say would you please subscribe so i'm just going to lead off right now with uh, right on screen there in the uh, lower left hand side actually it's lower left if i were looking out the screen it's lower right for you There's a button. It says subscribe. Go ahead and click on that if you would. And uh, now let's just get right on to episode 41 of the vlog, episode 13 of the podcast. Uh, Today I've invited a friend, Lydia Palmer, on to uh, have a conversation about something that is mystifying for so many people. It's fundraising. How, How do you get attention of somebody who's got money and how do you get them to part with it? That's actually a really interesting conversation, and I have a habit of foreshadowing what you're about to hear on the podcast, and I want to set the tone here that um, I am a little almost dismayed at how much work it takes. Um, She pretty much admits that the college that she works for has an FBI-grade dossier on all of the activities a student has gone through up until and through graduation, so that they can really know what makes a person tick and engage in really enriching ways. And, uh, you know, when you say it like that, it all sounds good. So it's not a bad thing to have a dossier for either party, but... There's a lot of work that goes into that and a lot of work to use it. And Lydia is going to kind of r- pull back the curtain and explain a whole bunch of that. But uh, suffice it to say, if you're not willing to put in the work, you're probably not going to get the results. And boy, oh boy, isn't that just a life maxim? Um, as, uh, you know, my lack of going to the gym has often shown me that I haven't been able to get myself to put in the work. And I don't have the six-pack abs I used to when I was an athlete. So, um, there was some TMI. Why don't we roll the music? One, two, three. Listen. I'm here with my friend Lydia Palmer. Uh, I have known Lydia for... Gosh, uh, more time than I want to quantify at this point, but um, she's one of my favorite people. And uh, I've learned that when she speaks, you just kind of quietly listen and you get to like learn really important things. So um, I wanted to treat you listeners and viewers today to somebody where we should all get quiet and just listen. Um, Now, what I do know about her, and she's going to correct me on all of the stuff I have wrong, is that she does fundraising at the Rochester Institute of Technology. And she is in the alumni world. And and I'm going to just distill this down into something that's probably completely wrong right now. She chases alumni for big money, alums, alumni, <laughs> um, for really big money, and gets them to part with it, which is astounding. Um, so, Lydia, let me just ask you, first of all, could you just explain the right version of what you actually do and a little bit <laughs> of, like, your background and stuff?
1: Yeah. Let me, let me see what I can do. So, um... I am actually the Senior Director of Marketing and Communications for Development and Alumni Relations at the Rochester Institute of Technology. So I have like a two-sided business card, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we're a, a technology university, so that all gets pushed down into acronyms and stuff. It makes it uh, much shorter and it works. It is also, I, w- I would be remiss in not noting that it is the alma mater of the one and only, and in the incredibly talented Josh Pies.
0: Right? Oh yeah, there's that thing where I like spent time there.
1: Yeah, there's that thing that you actually got a degree here. So, so, but you know, to to your point, when you say, well, well, what is it that you actually do? Well, here's here's what it is. Here's what all of that uh, long business card introduction means. It means that that I help our fundraisers, um, our our uh, senior administrators, the people who are out in the field talking to donors every day. I help persuade our prospective donors to make gifts to the university and for gifts in the world in which I work you can be talking anywhere between ten thousand dollars and I think the largest the largest proposal I've ever worked on is about a hundred million dollars so there's a pretty big range there but yeah we're talking we're talking about people who have resources to give um, and the ability to make a pretty big impact at uh, at a university. So, that's right, so let's
0: frame this a little bit. So okay. you are asking people for money, not for tuition, Correct. and probably not normally things like payroll. There's usually some kind of a something attached to the vision, right?
1: Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Um, we what we do a lot of is um, it's like matchmaking. You know, we try and find uh, the donors interest their passion uh that that thing that they say my gosh if i could change this before i go to oblivion go wherever it is i'm going to go be reinvented as a dog whatever it is you you want you think your future is um if i could change this that would really that would be something that i would really want to do and we try to find ways that our institution is bringing that change about and then we can look at them and say if you if you are able to give us this much money here's what we would do with it and here's how that change will take place
0: gotcha so do you guys have like this giving tinder app yet where it's like you can just swipe left <laughs> swipe right um
1: <laughs> i wish we did we're still trying to get to the uh, the point where where we're as uh, hip and easy to use is like ordering a shirt from land's end it hasn't happened yet but we're we're getting there and again i know as a as an alum you know this but um, uh, rochester institute of technology is the uh 10th largest private institution in the country it's a pretty big place
0: um brick city
1: yeah brick city that's right and it is very much like a, a small city unto itself uh so so, when we're talking with our our prospective donors, many of whom, as you said, are alumni, um, there's a lot of different places that they can direct things. Uh, some of them may have been past athletes they they think the world of our hockey team or something like that. Some of them had a professor that they absolutely loved, um, and uh, uh, they want to do something that reflects that relationship. Um, many of them uh, are, are very career oriented. RIT had a huge impact on their career. So they really want to say what, what can we be doing to drive change and positive momentum in a particular industry. And so they they focus on either academic areas or research that, that will impact that industry. So we're really, uh, at the end of the day, about helping a donor define what that interest and what that passion is, and then connecting them to an area of the university that is having a very positive impact on that interest or that passion.
0: Awesome. So... Um, I'm wondering what the sales funnel looks like uh, in in that conversation, because you now a lot of people who are listening probably understand like there's things like Russell Brunson's famous uh, uh, Click Funnels app, where you know you go ahead and you you get people in with your lead magnet, and then you follow the rabbit trail, and you got them in your your email list now, so you got their attention, and then you can eventually convert mm-hmm. them to selling some kind of widget or something. And that's a very real thing. And pre internet. Salespeople have been talking about funnels forever. There must be some theory or some formula to how you um, identify prospects, engage with Mm -hmm. those prospects, discover their passions, do that thing. Could you kind of describe that dance? I think it could be very instructive to learn that.
1: So it is a little different in uh, universities and colleges because um, the majority of our perspective pool of people is sort of a a captive audience. Um, We know who they are. Uh, We're not going out fishing. Yeah, it's you. It's you. I'm pointing at Josh right now. It's you. It's a a body of alumni, a body of parents. a body of individuals who have been connected to the university for a period of time for some reason. Um, We're we're rarely, I won't say it never happens, but we're rarely out just talking to somebody who has no relationship with the university whatsoever. Uh, So so we start um, with this defined, understood pool of people that we can sort of sift through and, um, and start to cultivate and identify. Now, interestingly for us, the cultivation cycle, it's actually pretty long uh, because you start cultivating an alumnus when they start showing up at your open houses because the experience that that student or that that student's parents have as they're going through the process of looking at a university, as they're registering and enrolling and showing up as a freshman and building their their experience in student life and in their classrooms and learning and growing and going out for co-op jobs and internships and coming in for graduation and all of that stuff, plays a very big role in what they're going to do 20, 30, 40 years later.
0: Wow. So you're playing a long game.
1: It's the long game. Yeah, it really like, is. That
0: really is. Okay. So are you taking, uh, you know, in, in your, you know, job title is, is marketing mm-hmm. for this. And so are you taking an active role in um, helping to shape the understanding of student uh, recruitment and student life and experience for that world thinking notion? It,
1: yeah, we have, so we have very good partnerships with our colleagues in student life, with our colleagues in enrollment management and career and co-op services. So our career and co-op, as uh, you, you probably know from your knowledge of the university, is a very strong part of yeah. RIT, um, it's it's getting people out into some real hands-on experience, work experience, and then getting them connected into jobs when they graduate. Um, those are managed by other entity entities on campus, but we have valuable partnerships with them. You know, to put it this way, my uh, our vice president has been been known to say to the folks in enrollment management and and student affairs and such, you know, you have them for four years. We have them for life because you get them for four years. And as you get them through those four years, you go, Hey, that's great. They had a good experience. We, we did our job. We get it from there and we have to maintain them through to 50, 60, 70 years old to see what the lifetime value of that donor is going to be. Um and all of those little experiences weigh in on what that lifetime relationship is going to be like.
0: Wow. Okay. So you, you know your donor pool then, you or at yep. least the target donor pool.
1: Yeah. But
0: what you probably and, and you've already alluded to the notion that every donor is going to have their own pet interests. Mm-hmm. Um, how does the cultivation post graduation of their engagement and their interest um, take shape because at some point I'm sure there's a, a moment where you guys internally are going, we know what this person's hot button is, yeah, and we're going to help them connect and be. I'm I'm assuming there's this a, a, a little bit of a. You know, yes, we essentially kind of have to make a sale, but at the same time, we're fulfilling somebody's yeah. inner desire to be relevant and make a change in this world. So that whole intersection is interesting to me. How does that yeah. take shape?
1: So when, um, let me take uh, student student A, uh, Alex. Alex is here at RIT and he's involved in uh, the student magazine, the reporter magazine, which Again, I know you're a little bit familiar with. So he's been involved in Reporter Magazine his whole life, or his whole student life. Um, When he goes to graduate, he's going to have some degree of affinity both to Reporter Magazine and to the department um, that he probably graduated from because it is likely to have some relationship with Reporter, whether it's a the PR program uh, in one of the colleges, or, or they, he may be in uh, an English minor or something like that, and he exercises that experience through reporter. We know when Alex graduates that he's been in Reporter Magazine for four years because the folks in Student Affairs send us their information year to year to year that says here's our roster of people who've been part of Reporter Magazine that goes into our database. And yep, it's, there is the magic database, the database of everything that a student was involved in when they were here, um, everything that as an alumnus they participate in from the time they graduate until whenever, every conversation that they've ever had. Think in terms of your sales, uh, sales force, database, your, your uh, customer relationship management database. It's the same thing. We have a log of major conversations that this person may have had. We have a list of they received a, an invitation to this event and they responded positively and attended the event. Um, it runs the gamut. It's become pretty sophisticated over the last, even in the the 15 years that I've been working here, it's just grown exponentially. Uh, The the ability to not only collect data, but sift and sort it and break it out and find out what relevant populations are. Um, Going back to Alex, so at uh, commencement, when Alex graduates, We're going to know who Alex's parents are. We're going to know whether Alex's parents ever made a gift to the institution. Alex as a student may have given to the institution um, because he'll be participating in campus activities where he gives. All of that's logged in. He's already got a trajectory um, as a prospective donor. He's going to graduate and attend all of the fun graduation ceremonies that include some interaction with our alumni relations staff. Uh, Alumni relations does a lot of interaction during the commencement week, uh, and they're doing it to say to people, hey, you know, you're you're moving from student to alum, or as we like to call it, from an alumni in training to an alum. Uh, You have crossed, crossed, crossed over that threshold, you are now officially an alumnus, and there's a lot of things that we can continue to do. for." It's not like you got your diploma and you walked out and you're finished there's a lot of networking there's a lot of connecting you back into things that are going on at the university there's industry information that you can get from from the people here and that's the cultivation process with alumni we hook them up to um, say the chapter in their region or we reach out to them based on their affiliation with a particular college or program that they graduated from and we also have some affiliation uh, people who work with major student organizations like that reporter magazine that he was part of, and we maintain contact with them that way. Eventually, the directive, if it all works, and the flowchart all comes together the way it's supposed to, uh, Alex graduates, gets a viable job, um, and says, hey, I remember what RIT meant, so when I get my annual appeal, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my $25 gift every year and send that in. Um, did you make your gift yet, Josh? No, never mind. I we'll talk about
0: that later. So, actually. So uh, <laughs> we'll yeah, go over that later. <laughs> I sure he'll be suddenly getting a phone call from a random student soon.
1: Yes, yes. But then uh, uh, and so then he he kind of puts a stake in the ground. Alex has a, a pattern now of giving, and then we cultivate that further. We find out what he responds to, whether it's chapter events whether uh, let's say Alex is in the electronics industry and he shows at the Consumer Electronics Show every year. There's an RIT booth there and there's alumni activities at CES every year. Um, so we, we try to reach out to them in that way. Um, and then we, we just build that relationship from there. Um, we hope at say five years, 10 years, Alex makes his trip back to uh, homecoming or he makes a trick back to our annual Imagine RIT festival, right? These are big signature opportunities for Alex to come back and sort of get a flavor of what's going on on campus now, see what's going on, reconnect with some of his, his faculty members and, um, and stay part of what's going on at the university. So all of these things work to sort of build that relationship. The other part of that, database, sort of the mystery part is our research people. So when Alex starts to build this trajectory and he starts to build up that relationship and has a pattern of giving, at some point, somebody's going to have a conversation with him where Alex says, yeah, you know, I just got promoted to being director of sales, let's say, at whatever company he works for. Well, that goes back into the database, and it triggers us to go in and look around and say, "Hey, so what is Alex doing at this company? Let's find out if he's somebody that we want to go out and talk to personally now, okay, and say, we, we're grateful for what you've done. We hope we've been uh, helpful. We hope this can continue. Part of it is also an opportunity for you to find something here at RIT that you really want to latch on to. And then that personal cultivation really starts from there. So over time, uh, let's say Alex decides that he's going to leave and he starts his own company, right? Becomes wildly successful, is bought by Google because I understand Google owns everything now, right? I think so. His company company gets bought by Google. um, And he's looking at a a buyout of, let's say, uh, $30 million for his company. So the relationship that he has built with rit over time becomes a question of what am i going to do to recognize and give back to rit what am i going to do to hit my interest point to hit my passion because i know you can make a change in this area and that's when we start working with him on a bigger gift something that that would really uh have a substantial impact in some area in which he's in
0: Wow. So that is really a truly incredible long play. Um, yes. Most of the stories I bet are, from what I'm feeling right now, fairly long play stories then?
1: Um, yeah, they, they are. Uh, they tend to follow the path of a person's life. Okay. You, know, you, you begin a career. You want to make a difference to organizations. You want to maintain those relationships. You follow an annual giving cycle. Um, you make a gift every year. You might get to the point where you're you're really financially secure, and you want to say, "I want to I want to be a bigger player in this." So then you're in the leadership channel where you're making a gift of, say, 2500 dollars per year to your institution. Um, then you you over time you look around and say if I was really gonna make a big difference here, maybe I wanna make a gift of 25 or $30,000 to this institution to really set something up. But as you get through your your personal life, you know, and you grow personally and professionally, then you tend to look around and say, what am I gonna do in the long term? Where is my my impact, my legacy going to, to live? Uh, and for a lot of people that gets you into the point of saying, uh, you know, you people like you, me, and, and, uh, our age ilk, my age ilk is older than your age ilk. Um, get to the point where we say, Hey, you know, what are we going to do to make sure that our, our, um, our assets are distributed in the way we want them to be distributed down the road for the, you know, the big. The big end of the show. What are what are we going to do? And then you're then you're talking about trying to set up things for people where they're they're uh, distributing retirement fund assets or distributing homes and distributing things that they can add together to make a really major major gift. And you would be surprised to find that um, you know that story about the millionaire next door. Right. Yeah, you would be surprised to find out that when many people get to the later years in their life, they have a lot more to distribute out than than you would normally think. Um we have we have an alumnus who set up a quarter million dollar scholarship. He's, you know, he's probably anybody that you or you or I would know interact with. It's just that over his lifetime he had Put together enough savings, enough investments. He didn't have children, so he was, wasn't was looking at moving assets down into uh, new generations of his family. He said, What am I going to do with it? He set up a scholarship at RIT because what he was involved in at RIT made a really big difference to him.
0: That's awesome. So uh, there's a lot of data, yeah. and it sounds like there's a lot of uh, attaching a person's passion and vision yes. to. The college, not necessarily the data, the data gets you to the conversation. Yes, exactly. The conversation turns into an understanding of, of vision. Yep. And then you've got to align that. Now, actually, how does, uh, I mean, the college is on a trajectory mm-hmm. a thing, and then you've got people with a passion. How do you get the the passion and vision of an individual to align with the trajectory of the school? Now you know. Um, mm-hmm. There's probably pr- projects that are happening. There's projects that need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I'm assuming that at some point you've had a conversation where somebody goes, "I really want to give towards this," and nobody in the college had ever thought of this. Right. So I, I'm just kind of curious. How, you know, what's that like attaching people to the current status of what needs to be done? Mm-hmm. And do you ever field those interesting questions like, "Okay, we're going to make a home for your money here."
1: Yeah. Yeah, Um, we do that frequently. At any university or college, understand that there are some fundamental aspects of being an educational institution that give people, just by the nature of what we do, the opportunity to change things a lot. So one of the biggest ways, and for educational institutions, the whole enchilada is about scholarships. That's the thing. That's our whole story. Uh, scholarships are so critical to what we do for most of our donors the opportunity to to not just create something that helps a body of people but in many of the cases of our students you can change somebody's life by simply setting up a scholarship that helps to pay for their education we've had specialized scholarships so so we have a, a, a number of donors who um, set up funds for what we call the last mile scholarship. So imagine, and this is very common, uh, imagine a student who has gone to college for three, three and a half, four years, and the money runs out. Uh, and and I, I could spend an hour talking about the funding from grants and and. Uh, programs for loans and things they don't cover uh, the full four-year college not to mention that a lot of students don't get through in four years it might be five years Um, but at the end of the day the money that they needed to complete their degree is not there so they're sitting on three and a half years of college education and going that's it I'm tapped I have more money that's the end for them (laughs) until somebody comes in and says, yeah, I've got um, a $25,000 fund that will pay for you to finish that last 18 months of school. Um, We've had students who um, just incredible stories of of students who have uh, their, their parents have to decide between them finishing their last year of college and their younger brother or sister going at all? How do you make that choice as a parent? Uh, We've had people whose parents are, and these these are honest to goodness, true stories, parents who uh, become um, uh, substantially ill and are trying to decide between paying for their health care treatments and their tuition bill and saying to their student, "I, I just can't keep you there because I have to pay for chemo okay I mean it's it's really incredible when we when we the uh the situations going on in the, the Middle East at a larger scale we had countless students whose parents were called up to active duty you're called up to active duty your income drops because yes, the right. active duty pay is not the same as it is in your normal day-to-day job uh, and the students coming into the financial aid office saying, my, my father got called up. I can't pay for school. So those kind of scholarships for a lot of people are incredibly meaningful. Um,
0: and that boy, isn't that easy to attach an emotion to? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's, a, yeah that's a good sell. And it's a, a good opportunity. It's a wonderful thing if you, you ever get the opportunity to actually meet. student and their donor together Um, because it can just be it can be transformative for both to say oh my gosh this is really this is the face of a person whose life I change it's very personal for them Um, we have a lot of of, uh, donors who like um, to really have a big impact in their industry or their their particular professional area so they might fund um, professorship in that area. Again, it's a personal relationship. It's connecting that donor to a professor where they've said, I will fund part of your research because I really care about that. Um, that's, really, that's really, really common in um, uh, healthcare. If you look at some of the big gifts that have been made in uh, universities in recent years, you'll find people giving huge amounts of money to fund a particular area of research in a healthcare environment. That's, that's gonna be a, a twofold. It's because they're, they're interested in helping their institution, but they probably have some connection to that particular healthcare issue. And they connect the two of them by saying, I'm gonna fund, fund research in that area. So, so it's, it's a very, if you're, when you get to the point where you're talking about significant level gifts, you're talking about a, a highly personalized relationship with this individual and both their, their fundraiser, the person that's, that's the donor-facing individual from our area. Um, you're talking about a personal relationship that builds between other individuals on the campus. Um, it's, it, it really is a, a long-term relationship-building process.
0: Wow. Um, Incredibly long-term. So I wonder if you might be able to put your teacher hat on for a second and help listeners. Um, Now, I personally run in a crowd, and and you know this. Uh, There's a lot of indie filmmakers who are friends of mine. There's a lot of startup companies or companies that are in earlier rounds of VC-type conversations. Yep. All of whom, uh, if they open their wallets right now, maybe have enough for Starbucks. (laughs) <laughs> um, but know that if their vision's going to uh come to fruition in any shape be it a movie be it building a business uh they're going to need some kind of an angel to step in and change their situation so they can you know chase the dream yep. and uh, i know it's a different world it's a, a quite a different conversation these guys don't have the long play necessarily well maybe the movie movie guys might if, if they're patient um but usually the small businesses that are looking to grow have a anywhere from maybe three to 18 month window before they've got to go get a job. Right. And, uh, I'm just wondering with your, uh, with your expertise, is there something that you could help us understand in the way of getting the, the attention of somebody who would have a conversation and then maybe keeping their attention enough so you could convert them to parting with their money?
1: Yeah. Um, the first thing I would say is what all good marketers should say as the first thing, which is know your audience, uh, know who it is that you're talking to, um, know what to the degree that you're able to know what they're interested in, in, and to the degree that you do not know, you do a lot of listening. Um, you learn to ask good questions that like Josh did with Lydia, where you ask questions that lead that person to talk about what they know and what they feel and what they think. Uh, and within that, you will find um, a lot of opportunity to say, I can make that connection to what you cared about. Um, it, it is for even for the most savvy donor or funder there is an emotional component to why they're going to give you something. And you have to find what that emotional component is. Um, Even a a hard nail, you know, former Goldman Sachs guy, there's going to be a reason that he's going to give you that money. And it's not usually because he sat down and figured out the dollars and cents of what he's going to give you. It's because there's a thing that he wants to see happen and how do you make that part of your story? Um, And then I would say for me, the other part of it is uh, not just the relationship building that leads up to the ask, but making sure that that relationship continues after someone has given you something. In our world, we call that stewardship and donor relations. It's an incredibly important part of what we do um, I think this the statistic shows that if you have your donor stewardship act together, if you do a good job thanking people, keeping them informed of what their gift is doing them, showing that actual impact, um, it, it it adds threefold to what those people are likely to give to you. Um, so that's a substantial part of. Uh, the, that relationship aspect is, it's not, hey, thanks for your check. I'm out and on to the next person. It's, it's that you really do mean something here. And how do we keep you as part of the whole success story? Okay. Is that?
0: No, that's a great answer. And I, I feel like that must be an interesting challenge for RIT when you've got such a data-laden uh, funnel up front. Yeah, probably on the back end, too, There's probably a lot of data driving decisions to make sure that it's actually real relationships that are in play as well. That's got to be a, a fine balance.
1: It is a fine balance. And more and more over the last 15 years, fundraising has been, I would say, first and foremost, assisted and informed by technology more than it ever was. Uh, There's tremendous opportunities to connect with people through technology. It can also take over. And it's a very fine balance. At the end of the day, this is a a personal choice that is made by the donor to make this kind of gift. And when they start to feel like they're in in the churn of a technological function, um, it, can, it can hinder your ability to build that, that relationship. Everyone looks for, I believe everyone at some level looks for the sense that what they did matters to the organization for whom they did it. And um, uh, trying to make sure that, that you can say to somebody, yeah, we know what you did for us over time. I may not be able to recall it out of my brain myself, um, but if I know who you are, I can go back and say, wow, look at, look at what you've done for us. And we have that in a record and we keep you informed, um, of how, what you're doing makes difference to us year every year.
0: Wow. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to, uh, to shift back to your, your teaching hat. Uh, yeah. cause I was just thinking about how, um, If you're going to go hunting for money at RIT, you go into the alumni forest. Mm -hmm. Just like if you're going to go hunting for deer, you usually go into the woods. Mm -hmm. Outside of having a defined target the way RIT has the the alumni base, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you might have some thoughts or tips around where to go hunting for... The um, not only for money but, but the opportunity to build conversations mm-hmm. it's not just about the money But um, so for all of those indie filmmakers all those startups out there who know they need to get attention from somebody who's going to take on their cause where do they go?
1: yeah so I, um, I had an old boss who used to say if you ask
0: somebody for money they'll give you
1: advice <laughs>
0: But it's it, true. I've been there. It That's is true. Anthem. That is going to be a meme. Look yeah. out, everybody. I am making a meme. <laughs> uh,
1: but it is true. Um, but you can actually make that work for you. Um, so when we talk about going out and hunting for money and within the alumni forest, I would tell you that actually what we hunt for in the alumni forest is engagement we hunt which i should state at the outset i hate that word i'm so tired of hearing the word engagement it's uh it's my new one you know that last i think it was last year i said that the word i never wanted to hear again was hashtag i over
0: hashtag engagement we're not using that word anymore
1: yes yes you just sent shivers down my spine um (laughs) no uh but what we're looking for you know realize that our alumni population it's not just about the money, they have an impact on us in. I would say three broad categories. One is is yes in their in their giving, the other is in their volunteerism and their involvement with the university. Uh, they do a great deal for us in other areas, um, student mentoring or involved uh, in in volunteering at events and being part of what's going on on campus. And then the third way is is in advocacy, um, and when you get somebody who is say they, they're out in um, uh, Portland and they're working for a tech company out there in Portland and they say, hey, I know people around here. I'm, I'm in a startup in Portland uh, and I'm networking my way around um, uh, around the, the industry here. Uh, they're in a position to represent RIT where they are. And so... For me when I find somebody who is you know a volunteer or willing to weigh in on how things could be done here um, they have ideas that they share with us they advocate where they are there you've got somebody that that's a natural feed so I would I would say to somebody who's looking for a way to uncover people um, is look for people who, who are willing to say, look for people that you can ask to help. Help me work through this. Help me talk about my greater story here that uh, I'm trying to build as a a filmmaker. Um, Help me connect to people that I need to connect to uh, in my industry as a startup person. Uh, when you find those people who are willing to say, yeah, let me, uh, let me see what I can do to help you out by making connections, by by giving you advice, by counseling you as, um, as maybe a startup board person, um, that's where you're going to find people who have said, I'm willing to put some skin in the game. Um, and when you find people who are willing to put a little bit of skin in the game, then you've got somebody who's likely to be also either a financial supporter or willing to connect you to people who are financial supporters.
0: Wow. Okay. So I, I sense, uh, that authentic humility and real relationship building are a, a critical component to this.
1: Yes. We cannot do this without you.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, I like to try to end my conversations with a couple of actionable things that uh, people might be able to do today. And one of my favorites is because Amazon's so darn easy. Um, What books do you think uh, would be worthwhile for a viewer slash listener to go grab right now? Uh, You don't have to guarantee they're on Amazon either, but I'm assuming that since they are the world's largest blah, blah, blah of everything, that whatever you recommend will be on there. Um, so what should we read?
1: Um, I will give you uh, uh, two general ideas. Um, one is that uh, I, I get a, uh, a news feed from a gentleman named Tom Ahern, A-H-E-R-N. Tom has worked for decades in uh, fundraising communications, but the things that he talks about and the connections that he makes through his regular online e-news cover the gamut. I mean, he really does look at things from a perspective of, of connecting to business as well as nonprofit entity and try to make the best of what, what works in other industries for helping people from a fundraising perspective he is also extraordinarily data driven talks a lot about the research of what makes someone do something how do you persuade someone to do something that is a natural segue into um, i'm not going to be able to give you a title there's about four of them sitting on my on my uh, nightstand table but um It's looking into social psychology. Um, There's a number of books that are well known for their impact, uh, you know, primers for for people working in social psychology and that is really a lot of what you're talking about. You're talking about what the points are that makes someone um, persuadable. Uh You know things like reciprocity, if you are a scholarship student, you have a natural inclination to give back because you received um, the desire to be a, you know as a social animal, the desire to be um, positioned and seen as someone who works in people who give to this area or who fund independent films because they are community art or or someone who is an angel type investor. You know, there are people who say that's that's what I want to be. When I close my eyes and see who I am, that's something that I want to define me. So, so those kind of social persuasive aspects are really what we're all talking about here. You know, back when marketing was done in the stone tablet age, which is when I went to school, uh, Part of my marketing curriculum in college was, was social psychology and consumer behavior. Consumer behavior is based in that psychological that psychological element. Um, and more and more, uh, we've, we've, I think, been a little distracted by some of the technological whiz-bang stuff, uh, and maybe not so much really understanding that this is how the the wiring in people's brains work and if you can tap into that wiring in the right way you're going to be you're going to be more successful than somebody who maybe just is really good at building things that look good or act good when they click so so yeah that's that's the the channel that i would go to
0: awesome what are you obsessed with right now
1: what am i obsessed with um I have actually been going through sort of a, a reinvention process for myself. Really? Kind of interesting where, uh, where I've been, uh, you, you know, that I uh, have reached a point in my life where my, my son is uh, now off in college uh, and okay. I have free time. So I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do that makes the impact for me? Am I, where am I going to get involved again uh, on a board or in a a nonprofit organization? What am I going to be doing um, in addition to my daily work here at RIT that really makes a difference to me? So I've been going through a a pretty extensive process, rebuilding some networks with people that, that I've known for a long time, but maybe in the 15 years I've been working at RIT don't get to talk to as much as I used to and trying to, um, to uh, really strengthen those networks and find out where there are other, other opportunities for me to make a big difference.
0: Awesome, I love that. And um, uh, let's talk about other obsessions like Cherry Coke uh, Oreos. <laughs> I saw those on your newsfeed. I think it was a Mother's Day gift. How cherry are
1: they? Coke Oreos. Those didn't work, by the way. I, mm-hmm. They got, they got a, a negative from three out of four people in the house, so. Uh.
0: Yeah, yeah, Were you one of the three? Uh,
1: Yeah. We're back to the double stuff. The oh, okay. double stuff Oreo. But,
0: yeah. yeah. Nobody can really argue with the double stuff Oreo. Nobody
1: can argue with the double stuff. No, no,
0: no. So I love cherry Coke and I love dark chocolate. I feel like I might be one of those people voting for the positive side of those Oreos. And you know what? This is way off topic for the podcast, but I really want sweets now. Anyhow, uh, Lydia, thank you so much for being on. You know, one of the things that I'm struck with right now is how um, even through all of the data, there is a level of authenticity that is demanded in the process. And, you know, that's authenticity of human relationships and the connection that RIT has to have with uh, the donor base, the alums. And uh, even in our conversation surrounding uh, funding for startups and for you know, indie films that uh, you recommend you know n- enlisting people and asking for help and building a relationship and even staying accountable and keeping people connected through the process. In fact, it reminds me the other day I had uh, lunch with a great guy, um, His name's Nick. And uh, he has done 50 independent films that have all been fully funded. And uh, one of the things he does through the process is exactly how you describe it. Um, he engages people who have a passion and he he helps them achieve something positive connected to that passion through a usually a documentary. And um, as a part of that, he stays accountable to them, not only with information and reports, but with the experience of actually coming on set, inspecting and seeing what's happening. And, of course, there's a certain Hollywood appeal and some glamour to it. Um, and then, uh, you know, he gives them ownership through the process on the emotional side. He he gives them, uh, you know, some posters, some cred, some stories to be told. And uh, it goes a long way in keeping investors happy. And, um, you know, there's nothing like having your money taken and you don't know what happened to it. That's awful. And, uh, you know, that's his model is to not let that happen. And it's clearly something that you have insured in, in, uh, in the RIT world and that all of your efforts exemplify. Um, that's really good learning. So listener, If you're asking for money, and I think this goes for even really any sales conversation, uh, you know, you want somebody's money in exchange for something. And uh, when you are asking to fund something that might not always necessitate an actual exchange, You need to actually still give an exchange. It might be of information. It might be of experiences and uh, definitely of a level of accountability. I went and did this with your hard-earned money. Hmm. That's really important. So uh, a lesson learned for all of us. And uh, boy, doesn't that get people's attention When, when you're honest above all else, when you're above board and you play with your cards on the table and face up? Yeah, that, that's actually different in this world So let's all be different today um, Let's play with the cards up And uh, let's go out and get some attention, everybody I will see you on the next vlog Tomorrow is the uh, low-tech Friday I'm actually right now headed to Atlanta To film with... Um, actually the leadership great john maxwell um don't text me actually i'll already be back by the time you're listening to this so it's not like anybody can try to jump in on that experience but i'm honored to be a part of that crew and um i have no clue what my low tech friday is boy isn't that a theme um but i do like bringing that level of information to the world so i'm determined let's find out what low tech friday is tune in um, and you know what? We'll see you next week on the Monday podcast and vlog where I intend to reprise the 22 Rules of Story by Pixar. And I really hope you'll subscribe right now. Uh, don't forget to do that. The 22 Rules is it's almost done, actually. I've got two more vlogs before I've gone through all 22 rules. And I've promised time and again that I would give away... Uh, My riffing on the 22 rules for commercial production for the business world, I've already created it. It's real. It's a thing. It exists on smbfilmschool.com, which also can be found through the www.getattention.work URL where you can sign up for access to all sorts of stuff, but um, you can definitely link over to the film school. It's up. If you're interested and you're ready to go check it out, why don't you get a preview? Um, and then don't forget to listen in as I riff on the final list of rules from the 22 rules of story by Pixar. I think we're done with this vlog and I think we're done with this podcast. Thanks for giving me your attention. I'll see you real soon.